Let's all humble our hearts. Almighty Father, as we come before you on this special day, the day that you have created to rest and worship, we pray that this day would be a blessing for all who come before you to hear your word, to seek your face. We pray that many would be planning to make the trip to come to the Feast of the Seventh Month. We know these are commanded, and these are part of your plan. These are part of your covenant. So we thank you, Almighty Yahweh, for the calling out those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, and, and bless everyone who's doing your will. Be with those that have special need as well, those that are sick, those that have special requirements, who have trials, tribulations, whatever it might be. We pray that you will be there, Yahweh Rapha. We thank you for all things. In the name of Yahshua the Messiah, we pray. Hallelujah. You may be seated. That's well, good to be back, and in the words of Dorothy, there's no place like home. What is the purpose? What is the point of your worship, your studying, your coming together on the Sabbath and the feast days, all the learning you're doing? What is the purpose of it? Well, we know that... Uh, it uh, impacts salvation. That is pretty obvious. But the other thing that we need to not forget is that sharing the word is the other part. The reason that we learn what we do is so we can share what we learn for others. It's the main reason Yahweh gives the gifts of the Spirit. And as we have to be baptized, we lay on hands for the gifts, gifts of service, basically what they amount to. And they're given to everybody, which means everybody is obligated to spread the word, not just leave it to somebody else, but to do your part in your corner of uh, your universe. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. That means to the profit of all. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says. Those gifts include wisdom, knowledge, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, and so forth. These are all meant for a purpose, to take the truth to the world and to help you to do that. They're not given to use on ourselves, sitting in a corner somewhere. Neither do they square with the attitude that, well, I don't believe in organized worship. Well, what in the world? Did Paul take four missionary journeys, travel thousands of miles, set up, at least 14 different assemblies wherever he went from the Mideast all the way up to Rome. What did he do that for if I don't believe in organized worship? You know, we're instructed to let our light shine in Matthew 5, 16 and to have a ready answer to all who may ask. That's one of the reasons we do what we do. So we're ready when someone asks us or if we have the desire to take that truth to them in whatever way. We're going to talk about that today. Even more, Yahshua specifically instructed to go out and preach to the world. In Matthew 8, uh, 28, 19, he says, Go and teach all nations to observe what I have commanded you, whatsoever I commanded you. And then, of course, that part about baptizing in the Trinity is uh, really, most think, 
most scholars believe that was not there because, well, for one thing, nobody ever did it that way. Uh, the Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics says uh, that verse is not found in the manuscripts, according to Hastings, and the Jerusalem Bible says the Trinity formula here is suspect. Oh, you know, as the church went along and they developed their own things, and uh, they added that, apparently, from, uh, from the text. The 20th century New Testament says baptizing them into the faith of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, that's a little different. A little different, but it's not so much a Trinitarian formula, but the faith. And that's what we're baptized into. We say we baptize not in the name of Yahshua, but into the name of Yahshua. Because you come into him, into his family, and you come into participating in his death and resurrection. That's what baptism is when you go into the waters of, of immersion. It's a death of the old person. Spread the truth. That's what the apostles were sent to do, and that's what they did. We're reading Acts in the Bible study, and we find that that's what they were doing. Peter, James, John, they were all out there spreading the truth. Barnabas talked about him today, too. An almost apostle, I guess you could say, if not an apostle, but almost. And that's what his parables of the sower and the talents are meant for. Sowing seeds, making them grow, planting the word, and the talents given. You know, talent is an interesting word. Talent is a measure of coin, but it's also a measure of ability to do certain things well. That's a talent people have. People come up here and play, sing, whatever. That's a talent. So Yahweh gives us talents. For what? To sit in, sit in a corner the rest of your life and do nothing? No, it's to get out with the word. Use your talents, whatever it might be. People ask me, well, I don't know if I, what talent I have. Well, you know, sometimes you're given something you didn't know you had. Sometimes he enhances what you already have, and you're just not using it. Some people are good at just listening. They're like one big ear, you know, and people talk. I like talking to you, tell you about my problems, because you're such a good listener. And they don't say anything, really, that amounts to an awful lot sometimes. But just the fact they're willing to listen. You like to talk to people who listen, who pay attention, don't you? And that's a, that's a gift. Half the time, people their minds somewhere else. What they're going to do tonight or the weekend or whatever, they don't listen. That's a talent. They don't make sense if it's not to evangelize and grow the body. That's what they're given for, and so that's what they're used for. And, and Yahshua says, if you don't use your talents... You know, like the one he says, you give back the talent. Oh, here, the master comes back, here's your talent. He says, what good was that? You're, you're a slothful servant. You didn't use it. Give it back to me. Oh, yeah, I kept it safe, but you didn't do anything with it. What was the point of giving it to you? I just get it back. So how do we go about witnessing to the world in a way that's effective, persuasive, and approved of Yahweh? Well, he doesn't leave us without guidelines. That's one nice thing of the Bible. It, it tells us how to do stuff, tells us what to think as far as Yahweh goes, what to learn, what to study. And so Yahweh doesn't leave us without guidelines. There are many ways we can reach people with the truth. And I'm sure some of you know how to do that in the way that you do it, and some are very effective. Lucas has been walking through the neighborhoods of Holt Summit, passing out our introductory evangelical tract. That's a good way. Personal contact, one of the best ways. People have a question, you're there to answer it right on the spot. 
Above all, the scriptures have to be at the core of our outreach and at the center of what we do. Without them, what's the point? We might as well be the Lions Club or the, you know, the Rotary or something. If we don't have the scriptures, we're just a group of people getting together having fun. But with the scriptures, that raises it to a whole high level because now we're on Yahweh's level. And the importance of what we do impacts what he has told us to do. So we're not just wasting our time and energy. And all strategies should have as their ultimate game, gain to draw people into the truth. What teaching initially draws most people to the truth? I've often wondered that. Just thinking back on 50 years in this faith, I, I have to believe, you know, that there's something that does more than anything. Is it the Sabbath? Is it the name? Is it the feast days? Is it clean foods? Is it tithing? <laughs> no, not, not tithing, that's for sure. Hands down, our experience has been the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a key springboard in evangelism. It's a key springboard in evangelism. Because people first are awakened to the Sabbath. Been going to church for Sunday, you know, for years and years, and all of a sudden they read the fourth commandment, and it says the seventh day. Six days you work, the seventh day is a day of rest. Wait a minute. They look on their calendar and they see Saturday the 7th. What's wrong here? So they go ask uh, someone who should know. And, uh, of course, he ministers and tells them, oh, you don't worry about that. That's been done away. Yahshua did it. He is our Sabbath rest. So they say, oh, okay. But then it still bothers them. They still wonder, shouldn't I be keeping the Sabbath? I mean, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Um, Yahshua didn't, he isn't our fulfillment of all the rest of the commandments. We're to keep them. We don't go out and murder now because Yahshua kept all the commandments for us. We don't steal because Yahshua kept all the commandments. Something's not adding up. So they start digging and digging and finally find out, hey, there's a group of people that actually observe the Sabbath. So they go to them, find out, why do you do it? Because the Bible said so, because Yahshua kept it, because its apostles kept it. We're going to be keeping it in the kingdom. I mean, that's pretty locked tight, isn't it? That's pretty solid when you, when you look at the Bible and its teaching on the Sabbath. So they find a group that has a Sabbath. Then they learn that there's more to it. That's a good start, but there's awfully a lot more to it than that. They learn he has a name. Why aren't we using it? He has a name that we're supposed to honor. And there's a whole list of things he wants us to do with that name. Honor his name, sing to his name, uh, praise his name. Glorify his name, and I call him a title. There's something wrong with that. So i got to find out what his name is and then start worshiping in his name. But here's a caveat. You know, if someone has no use for Yahweh's word, you, you've all talked to people just rejected out of hand. Oh, they just, uh, that, that, uh, no, that, that can't be. I never heard of that. My church doesn't teach it. I didn't um, the best thing to do is say, uh, okay, well, maybe someday you'll see it, but uh, glad to have talked to you and uh, move on. You know, Timothy 3.10 says uh, uh, a uh, heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. So instead of wasting your whole day talking to some guy in basically a brick wall, you say, okay, well, maybe someday Yahweh will work with you, and 
maybe call you, obviously. They don't tell them that, but obviously you're not being called right now. But, uh, but you know, sometimes some blunt words really are important, and you never know. You've got to feel them out. If the message doesn't hit home, change the heart. A nice worship hall isn't going to cut it. Some trinkets aren't going to cut it. A lot of entertainment isn't going to cut it. It won't satisfy the true seeker. He wants to know the truth. Otherwise, you're just competing with the world and failing at the Great Commission. So, the word is the key again. Hebrews 4.12 compares the word to a two-edged sword, which is able to discern the thoughts and motives of the individual. It cuts to the quick. And that's why sometimes when you talk to people, they get a visceral reaction because it's cutting to the quick. It's a two-edged sword. When we witness, we're engaging in a spiritual battle. Hasatan is going to fight us on it, usually. He wants nothing more than to discourage us from sharing the truth. That's what he wants. There is, however, no weapon more powerful to oppose Satan than the word. The word. Using the word alone is going to eliminate the perception that, oh, well, that's just what you say. Or, well, that's your truth. You've probably heard that. Yeah, it's your truth. Well, if you use the word, they can't say that. That's what the word says. So you avoid statements like, well, I think or I believe. They don't care. They want to know if you can prove it from the word. You and I lack the same authority Yahweh has. So why do we even try to interject our beliefs into it if you don't use the word? It carries little weight. Who can refute it? Satan surely couldn't refute it. He's pretty smart. He's pretty smart, smarter than all of us. When Yahshua answered the three challenges of him, right after Yahshua was baptized, Matthew 4, what did he say to each challenge? What did he say? Oh, I think... Or, yeah, well, uh, there might be something to that. No, he says, it is written. It is written, it is written, it is written. And he had no comeback, no recourse. Not even Yahshua prefaced his responses with, I think. He would say, the Father says, or the Word says, or the Word of my Father. So he kept himself uh, most of the time out of the discussion. But he had the authority to do that. Certainly, son of Yahweh has authority to do it. And uh, he instead referred to the adversary to the word of his father. No greater weapon confounds the evil one than the pure and unadulterated word. The truth of our father in heaven. Man called me this, this week, wanted to know. He says, well, he's talking to a friend and the uh, talking about the Sabbath, and he's, he used this argument. Well, you know, when, uh, when Yahweh, didn't he raise Yahshua, you know, at the end of the Sabbath, or still the Sabbath, and he raised Yahshua? Wasn't that work? Two problems with that. Yahweh defines what work is. The Sabbath is given for man. He can do whatever he wants. And I wouldn't say that's work. So anyway, um, you know, people use all sorts of twists and turns to try to get you to, to uh, go some other direction. But the father is master. Yahshua's the master of the Sabbath. He could do everything, anything he wanted to. You can't use that as an example. It's, it's for us. It's what we do that matters. 
He can do his own thing, whatever he wants to do, because he's in charge. He's the judge. Personal opinion matters little in evangelism. We only get the response, well, that's your opinion, that's your truth. And uh, if we cannot prove what we believe, then we've got nothing to stand on. But that also means we must know the word. We have to be able to. We have to be seasoned. We have to learn the word. I remember when uh, Ryan and Randy invited a a couple of uh, uh, Mormons over, wanted to discuss the law. And these guys, you know, they call themselves elders, and they're like 18, 20, but they call themselves elders. And they got him into a corner pretty quick, and I, guess, I wasn't down there, but I guess the guy really got mad, slammed his Bible on the ground, on the floor. And, and uh, that's what people do when they're, they're frustrated because they can't answer the truth. They get mad. People do that. You know, personal opinion uh, has no place, but... The truth does. It also means you've got to know the word. I have yet to see anyone in graduate school not know the basics of their discipline, what they've studied in school. They know the basics. They know not just the basics. They know a lot more. They know the foundation. They have to. They have to. If they're going to go on to get a degree, higher degree, they've got to know their stuff. Well... We're in graduate school, right? You know more than, I would say, 99% of seminary graduates in the Bible. You won't believe it, but you know it. They can't answer some of the truths you would give them. And they've, you know, they got a degree, a THD or whatever it is. But you've got, you got the degree of Yahweh behind you. Uh, by the way, uh, what textbook did Yahshua use in his ministry? Did he use Galatians? Did he use Romans? Did Paul teach Yahshua or did Yahshua teach Paul? They rely on Paul on everything. Why not rely on Yahshua? Paul was just applying the teachings he learned from Yahshua. Galatians 1.12, Acts 9.15. Who taught whom? You know, there and in other instances when Yahshua the Messiah quoted scripture, he used the Old Testament and quoted it over and over and over. How can they say the Old Testament is meaningless today? Not important today. Not for us today. How can they say that? He quoted and referred to it dozens of times. The New Testament makes references to the Old Testament either directly or refers to it 263 times. It's built on the Old Testament. New Testament quotes refers to the foundation of the word. Matthew 4.4, Yahshua said, Man shall live by every word of Yahweh. Every word. My Bible doesn't come out with just a new Testament, it has both. It has every word. More than a thousand New Testament verses teach us to obey Yahweh's command in one way or another. A thousand. Oh, the law's been done away. Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word, explaining the word to people. They don't understand. They use, you know, some... uh, Typical argument, you can show them, which we try to do in the RSB. We show them in the notes. 
rightly dividing the word for some reason. It's not what was intended. It's not what the manuscript says. It's been, you know, it's been monkeyed with. So we got to rightly divide the word and show them the truth. From the truth, not from us, but from the truth itself, from the Bible itself. So if you aren't studying, you aren't into the scriptures regularly, then you aren't approved as one of Yahweh's disciples. That's what Paul told Timothy. To show yourself approved unto Elohim, you've got to study. Study. I don't see an awful lot of that going on anymore. I'm talking about other ministries. You don't see a lot of it anymore. What if I asked, can you give five biblical reasons, just five biblical reasons that you use Yahweh's name in your worship and in your life? Five biblical reasons. Could you do it right off the top of your head? should be able to. Remember, you're in graduate school. Can you answer from the Bible the seven challenges people commonly use against the name? Oh, he has many names. Um, nobody knows what the Hebrew says because there's no vowels. Um, one name's as good as another. Um, oh, he knows who I mean no matter what. Can you answer all these with the scriptures? You need to. How about showing ten biblical proofs for the Sabbath day? There's lots more than that. Can you show ten? Can you counter the five most popular arguments against Yahweh's feast? Do you know the answers? Can you show people? I just hinted at one of them in my question. He says, Yahweh says, these are my feasts. My feasts. Look at Leviticus 23 when he introduces the Sabbath and the feast. Actually, he introduces the feast, but with the Sabbath first thing. Leviticus 23, 2, 3, 4, 5. Six, eight, all those verses say something like Yahweh's feasts, my feasts, these are my feasts, not Jewish feasts, not any man's feasts, not Old Testament feasts, these are my feasts. If you don't know the material, how can you teach others? That's all, that's just basic. It's just plain old basic. You won't have to be embarrassed when you can't rightly divide the word of truth if you study and learn and remember. And a lot of times, you know, uh, sometimes the, 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 over time, it, it, it's, it's like a sieve, you know, that keeps, you got to keep filling it back up because it leaks out, you know, where these things are, the passages and and over time, you kind of forget. You've got to review. Is that exactly what it says? You've got to keep at it. You've got to keep, it's a daily, weekly thing as well. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify Yahweh Elohim in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for a reason of the hope that is within you, with meekness and fear. How can we refute a false belief, a false doctrine, if we don't know the right one? It's kind of like the old saying, you know, uh, when they train people on counterfeit builds, they, they study the real one so they can see what's wrong with the false one. Find common ground. That's another thing that you've got to be able to do to be effective, I guess you could say. 
You've got to be diplomatic sometimes. Who was really diplomatic? Hey, Apostle Paul was diplomatic. He used this method in teaching the truth to pagan people, like the one in uh, Acts 17. Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, Areopagus, and said, Ye men of Athens. He's going to go there and teach them. Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. The Greek, excuse me, the Greek basically says more religious than others. So he complimented them. You guys have some smarts. You know, you're, you're up there. So you are, you know, you, 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 you study, you work, and you, you think of these things. And you, he says, so as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown mighty one, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. So he throws that in there, so it kind of piques their interest. Ignorantly worship. Him I declare unto you, Yahweh that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is sovereign of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, and they were good with that, uh, pantheon and all that, temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. So he says, look, the one I'm here to talk to you about is the one who gives you every breath you breathe, the one who makes you live the one who allows you to live, the one who gives life support through food, through air, whatever. He's the one I'm here to talk to you about. Well, that pretty much, you know, they're thinking, they like to hear new things. This is something they haven't heard. They're, they're mighty ones were ones you had to appease all the time, always sacrificing to them. But they didn't tell them, tell them anything about living or salvation. This is something new. No, he's, he's got him. He's, all eyes are on Paul. He f- focuses on the inscription to the unknown mighty one in order to connect with the Grecians even more. He could have gone down the line of the idols and said, that one's pagan, that one's pagan, that one's pagan. And they would have said, yeah, we know, we're pagan too. What would that have done? No, he says, the one that you don't know you're worshiping. I'm going to tell you how he is to be worshipped. I'm going to tell you about him. Maybe you can change your inscription a little bit now. And then replace that to the unknown mighty one with something else. His approach was brilliant. Let me tell you about this one here whom you give respect to but don't seem to know much about. In doing so, he was forming a connection. He piqued their interest. He didn't come on, come on the scene and uh, ridicule them, tell them they're stupid pagans or, you know, you don't know anything. He came on very uh, intelligently. To, and he knows that, that this is what they like to do. They like to discuss things. They like to think about things. So I'm going to give you something to think about. Two lessons. First, inroads of truth can be found even in the most difficult of situations, how would you ever expect to go up and convert pagan Greeks to the truth of Yahweh? I mean, we have enough problem trying to get people who believe in Yahweh to believe the right way. Now, these people are completely off the wall. They have no clue. How would you do that? He shows us how to do it. 
I asked uh, one of the fellows who has a, a ministry to India. I said, "How do you how do you reach these people? They're pagans. They don't you know they're Hindus. They don't know." He says he finds a commonality. He says uh, one thing he uses. He says, "See the calendar on your wall. It's got Sabbath on the seventh day." Yeah, that comes from the Bible. Really, I didn't know that. So now he's already got their minds open to some new things. See very effective. It's worked for him. It's, point, it's really important to show the, the shared foundation that we have. Do you believe in the Bible? Yes, I do. Do you believe in Father and Son? Yes, I do. Um, do you have a name? Yes, I do. Do you suppose they have names too? And just, what if I went around calling you Mr. all the time or hey you? Do you think they might have a name? Yeah, they probably do. I, I think it's Jehovah. I'll tell you what. There was no J back there. There was no J until Columbus, Christopher Columbus Day, and uh, or I should say his time, not his day. <laughs> yeah, there he is. He's inventing the J. No, uh, but, you know, if there's no J, what, what is it? It can't be Jehovah. What can it be? And uh, the V is actually a W in, in Hebrew because that's the language in which they presented themselves. You know, you can get inroads that way. You can do it that way by just asking questions and letting them think a little bit. Think about it. And instead of just focusing on differences, you can start that way and then show why the common belief doesn't fly according to Scripture. So instead of separating yourself from them, you're kind of getting into their, getting into their uh, universe. Part of witnessing is coming together in a meeting of the minds. Paul explains this approach in his first epistle to the Corinthians. He says, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain more. What does he mean? Does he mean he starts believing like they do? No. Does that mean he becomes a... Uh, a pagan Greek? No. Does it mean he's joining with the Babylonians? No. He says, and unto the Jew I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. He probably said, hey, I'm a Pharisee. I was a member of the Sanhedrin. Boy, that would get your respect among Jews. Good night. He's a politician. He's a, he's a bigwig, you know. And he's a Pharisee. He's one of us. He's one of the ruling class, basically. So they're going to listen to this guy instead of some guy who just comes out of left field, doesn't know a thing. This guy is uh, someone to be reckoned with. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. He probably says, hey, I have a degree in Gamaliel, the great law professor. Oh. Yeah, we know him. He's a, he's a big one. He's one of the top dogs, you know. This guy studied under him. Let's listen to what he has to say. And then he says to them that are without law, as without law. What does he mean? He says, be not without law to Elohim, but under the law to Messiah, that I might gain them that are without law. Look. I know you've done some bad things in your life, probably. Um, you haven't 
totally adhered to the law, and neither have I. You should see that some of the things that I've done in my past, bad things. I've done some bad things. I've arrested believers. I've done this and that, thrown them into prison. I was guilty of doing some very evil things. But guess what? It led me to repentance when I finally realized it. I was knocked off my high horse. Back then, it's like I didn't have any law. Now I realize what I have done. He says, to the weak, I became as weak that I might gain the weak. You see, I'm kind of scrawny, you know, and I'm, I'm just kind of a little guy, according to history, uh, and have bad eyesight. But it got me through beatings. It got me through whippings. It got me through shipwrecks. It got me back and forth all the way up virtually to Europe. Four ministerial trips. It got me through it. So I'm weak physically. But guess what? That didn't matter. Now, you might have been weak, meaning weak in some other way. Maybe in obedience. I don't know. But uh, we know he had bad eyesight. Remember, he said, I wrote this big letter to you. And he didn't mean long letter. He meant in big letters. So apparently, it's, uh, he had bad eyesight. Cataracts or something. He, he looked for common threads. And with others, he used similarities with himself and to win them to the Messiah. One thing we got to watch, and we all do this, people that come on to the truth. I, I talk with them all the time. Before we baptized, he said, you know, I was so thrilled to learn the truth. I just had to go tell everybody. I told everybody everything I could think of. And whenever I saw somebody, I tell them the truth. Then I was getting a little discouraged because nobody wanted to listen. Nobody cared. I found one or two people eventually, but the rest, it didn't turn them on like it turned me on. I saw the key to the Bible opened everywhere. I finally understood the Bible. I understood how the Old Testament fits with the New Testament and how they're so important to go together. I understood that our Savior taught the Old Testament, and so did his disciples. And guess what? They taught and kept the feast days. I wasn't doing that. The Sabbath, I found out the fourth commandment explains it clearly. And they go, so? And he said, it kind of discouraged me. What you can't do is overload. We have a tendency to do that. We've, we're excited about something. That's just a natural response. But we can't overdo it because all you're going to do is chase them away. Say, wow, that guy is off, off the deep end. You know, that's what they'll say. There's got to be a limitation in witnessing, specifically with the volume of knowledge that we have to share. I mean, this is unbelievable to most people. They just, their eyes glaze over, you know. I have no idea what you're talking about. What Bible are you reading anyway? That's what they ask. Same one you got. I just read it. You know, I put the parts together. I start, you know, the puzzle starts to come together and it makes sense. Perfect sense. It never made perfect sense to me before. For 50 years, 60 years of study, I never made any, I never could see all of these things fit together. Now I can. I want to show you. Eh, it's too much work. Then they walk off. Have a good one. So, but you can't inundate. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12, 12 says, And further, by these my son be admonished of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. 
Yeah, it wears you out physically, I guess is what he's saying. Not mentally, but physically, day in, day out of study, you know, you, you, uh, um, it really does tax you. So he says, just be careful. Pace yourself, you know. Let your mind digest new stuff that you're learning, but don't try to cram it all in at one time. And the same applies to witnessing one's faith. You know, most people are capable of receiving only so much information at a shot because they just reach sensory overload. And they're just, whoa, I can't, I can't process all this. The study shows that a message takes 15 times of hearing before you finally get all of it. 15 times. Because half the time your mind is somewhere else. You know, you're not getting all of it. You're half listening. You're half listening there, so you're listening to it again. And, oh, I missed that the first time. And then you listen to it again, and oh, okay, now I'm beginning to see what he's saying because I saw the beginning to the end. So now I, I can put, you know, it, it takes a while. And same with the truth. They're not going to get it all the first time. So you just bring on a few things, like the Sabbath. Once you get them to accept something and, and be compatible with something, then they're going to say, oh, okay. I can see that. What else do you got for me? And then don't overload. In Acts 15, the elders and apostles would not trouble the Gentiles with circumcision because they understood that to burden them at this time with the requirement would have been just plain old counterproductive. At this point, tell them to abstain from pollution of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses will fill in the rest when they come each Sabbath to hear the word. And that's how it is. We don't, we sit down to eat. You know, we don't eat a week's worth of food at one sitting. You take a little, one meal, a little more, another meal, a little more, another meal. You don't try to pile it all in. You can't make you sick. So you take a little at a time. Give them a few tasty morsels. And if they're being called of Yahweh, many will hunger for more. If they're not, well, Maybe they will someday, and I'll just move on. You can't cram it down their throat. It's not going to work. They'll just react as normal people would react, push you away. Say, no, thank you. Someday down the line, though, someone else will say something, or they'll read something, or they'll see something online, or they'll say, oh, yeah, he was telling me about that. Maybe there is something to it. It isn't just his idea. Someone else is doing this, too, so you have to look it further. Witnessing is like sowing seed. When you plant something, you don't drown it with water. You give them enough water to get it to take root. And as it grows, you can give them more and more water. I planted, Apollos watered. Yahweh gave the increase. Apollos was there teaching them more stuff, of what they were learning, answering questions, feeding them, feeding them, feeding them. And always be cognizant of your own example. Your own life. If it's, not, if it's not in tune with Yahweh, you're working against yourself. Let your light, Matthew 5, so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And as the old saying goes, you may be the only Bible some people will ever read. And they'll judge your beliefs. They'll judge your faith by how you live it or not. The examples you set may be the model that they'll pattern after or not. 
It's crucial that we live daily faithful to the word. 1 Peter 2.21, For even here unto were you called, because Messiah also suffered for us, leaving us an example. We should follow in his steps. And as you follow Yahshua's example, people are going to follow your example. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So it applies not only to witnessing, but also to your personal relationships. Think about your children. They're watching you. You won't believe how much they watch you. How much they notice things you do or don't do. And they're going to pattern their lives after that. If you're the kind that blows up all the time, guess what? That's what they're learning. If you're the kind that uh, runs away all the time, guess what? That's what they'll learn. If you're one that shows a lot of love, guess what? That's what they're going to learn. But it happens in evangelism especially as well. And so... Peter encourages wives to win over their unbelieving husbands by their good works. We see this a lot. Where a wife believes, is faithful to the word, husband has no use for it. No interest. How does she win him over? What does Peter just say? He says, be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation. That means behavior of the wives. You can influence your husband by how you behave. First Peter 3, 1 Peter 3.1 No matter what situation we're discussing, living a life that reflects the Savior and how he taught us, or leading others to change their lives to be like Yahshua, to learn. If our lives contradict what we're trying to say, it ain't going to fly. If you can't live your own words, they're going to say, why should I listen to, your, to what you say if you can't live it yourself? We lose credibility. It'll fall on deaf ears. And Yahweh's not going to hold us guiltless for that because he's given you an honor of knowing the word and expecting you, trusting you that you'll Present it rightly. Serious stuff. That's why he said it's even more serious for, for those in, uh, in leadership. They're going to have double, double the responsibility. One's beliefs are taken very personally. You know, it's a sensitive issue. Most get emotional. Most who care, you know, about the word. When uh, they're approached about their faith, patience and refraining from anger with a soft answer are indispensable. It won't do any good to fight back. Your discussion may already be fragile, and adding emotion will only push it over the edge. Our witness has to be positive experience. Positive. Lots of smiles. Lots of I understands. Look at it this way. Things like that. We're communicating with people who are very fragile when it comes to their faith, usually. Being impatient or argumentative will sure ensure that uh, they're going to tune you out. And while anger causes strife, patience calms strife. When we witness, we have to learn to control our emotions, especially anger, and to be patient. 
Remember, in many cases, it's not what we say, but how we say it. And that's why it's so important, personal contact. That's why email is so dangerous. They can't see the body language. They can't see the facial expressions. They don't know if you're telling the truth or not. If they don't know if you're being funny or not, if you're being you know, sarcastic or not. They can't see your face half the time. So it's dangerous. They don't know how to take you. When you're standing there talking to them, they pretty much can read you. They say they, they, say where they, they, they sense who you are like in the first three seconds of when they see you, whether they like you or not. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? People can sense other people. Well, oftentimes they're wrong, but usually they're, they're pretty good at it. It's not what we say often, but how we say it. And when we confront someone face to face, they can see that our body language speaks just as loud as what we're trying to say. If we say something in strife, no matter what, how valid it is, it's going to work against us. Remember that not everyone is on the same spiritual level. Some may accept the truth quickly. I'm kind of concerned when people accept it too quickly because a lot of times it doesn't stick. We've seen that happen over the years. It doesn't stick. They accept everything. It's just amazing. But then they're on to something else after a while. So I, I, it's, it's better if they are, take it slowly, digest it, come back with more questions, and you know that sort of thing. It means it's taking root, and that's the important thing. Scripture is clear that discretion is key. Not everyone is in a position to understand or receive Yahweh's word, especially not those who are in open defiance to Yahweh. Yahshua warned us of this in Matthew 7, 6, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearl before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. In other words, don't, don't keep trying to share Yahweh's word with those that have no use for it. It's not going to do any good. Like I said, take it there. You've done what you've been told to do by the word. You've planted seeds, and now let Yahweh take it from there. That's how I like it. Let Yahweh take it from there. If discretion and wisdom are not used, and then our wisdom, our witness, may uh, only fall on deaf ears. And it also might come back to bite us, too. In 2 Peter 2.12, we find that there are some who are, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed. These individuals have no regard whatsoever for Yahweh's truth, for what's holy, and will destroy it if they can. This is the reason why we're told to abstain sharing truth with those that have no use for it, who will abuse it, defile it. So we just wait on Yahweh. If he can knock Paul off his camel and horse, whatever it was, and change his life. I mean, this guy was, he was 100% zealot. And he knew the truth. He knew, and he was going to take care of those believers no matter what. He was on fire. It's like, he ate, slept, and drank vengeance against Yahweh's people. There, there wasn't a more difficult person to deal with than Paul. Except Yahweh can do it. Knock him down. Change his mind. Change his heart. You know, make him blind for a few days. That, that'll do it. 
you start having those problems and you start turning to Yahweh. People that are suffering long-term sickness, you know, they're, they're ready to turn to Yahweh. When we witness, we must learn to accept Yahweh's will. Even though our witness is often motivated by a desire to see a person change, we understand that only Yahweh can change. Only Yahweh can do the, 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 the real changing of people, their hearts and their minds. And no matter how much evidence we present, how well we present it, how articulate we are, how knowledgeable we are, it's simply not meant for some people at this time. You know, there's a first and a second resurrection. The first is the cream of the crop. These are the ones Yahweh wants as a kingdom of priests teaching others in his kingdom, in the millennial kingdom. He wants them because they show the right stuff. That's the first resurrection. The others, they're not there yet. They got a lot of learning yet to do. They got a lot of change yet to do. He'll, he'll worry about that later, after the millennium, or maybe some of them during the millennium if they live on into it. But they're, they're not ready. Yahweh hasn't called them yet. That's okay. I've got relatives who are not called. The only thing I can think of is they weren't called yet. No matter, I'd talk blue in the face. It didn't matter. They weren't called yet. That's okay. Yahweh will handle it. They were good people. There's a chance. Later on, I have to have that trust that they'll be presented the truth as well someday, probably a lot better than I could have done. And, you know, Yahweh will see to it one way or the other. This is not the only day of salvation. Scripture speaks of a couple days. One for the Messiah, 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 20, verse 6, and one for the rest of mankind, Revelation you know, 20, the second resurrection. All of mankind, I believe, are going to have an opportunity somehow, except if they're incorrigible, and Yahweh determines that, to accept or reject the truth for their salvation. He may have a reason for not revealing it at this time. You know, just as when you read the word, you read it one day, and you come back and read it again, and it's like, how did I miss all that? Because your mind was in a different mind frame. And the same thing with the truth. You're not ready at this time. You're not mature enough in one way or another, so he's going to present it later on when you are. He's merciful in that, because a lot of people, they were just rejected out of hand. And when you do that, when you know and you reject it, that's really bad, but uh, he just knows that you know they'll just keep putting it off and keep rejecting it. But when they're prime, that's when they'll get it again, and that's what he wants. They'll be hit with the truth again. So that's what our job is, to make sure that that truth is out there. We can't make it grow, necessarily. All we can do is supply the nutrients. We can supply the fertile, uh, well, he, he supplies the fertile soil. We supply the food, the knowledge, understanding, and then Yahweh makes the increase. Only Yahweh can produce fruit from our labor. Yahweh is the only one who can. Who can open the eyes, change hearts. So wait on Yahweh at that point. To witness the word effectively, use discretion and wisdom. Use the approaches that cultivate success and avoid those that only offend. You're not going to get anywhere doing that. 
consider the gravity of our witness. You know, you've got to present the best witness possible in all ways. The best understanding of the Bible to present at that time. Now, some of the most effective people know exactly what to use on them who are trying to, you know, get them to come to the truth. They know the exact verse. That's a, that's a gift. A lot rests on the approach. Smile and be friendly. If they start to argue, well, just say goodbye, we're done, you know. Or you can say something like, if you still think there's a chance, you can say, well, have you ever considered this? Or, you know, I had someone who thought the same way one time. But they, and then you can go on to what helped them. If they're still belligerent, remember Titus 3.10. You know, early on, and uh, Ryan and uh, Lucas presented the uh, digital outreach that we do at YRM to that uh, um, uh, place we were at of different different groups and uh, but uh, I remember the old way I remember the the hard way I, I remember how it was when we did it the old-fashioned way the hands-on way rather than you know passively stick it up on a screen and some hope somebody bites you know fishing that way we used to take a good tract place it in a laundromat I'll tell you, for something about laundromats, come back the next day, it's gone. And I don't care what laundromat you use, it's gone. People are picking them up, I guess. Or someone's really good at throwing stuff away. But still, all the other stuff is still there, but the, the track is gone. It's a good way. Doctor's offices, well, you better ask permission first, of course, if you want to do that. Same with waiting rooms and hospitals and beauty shops and auto repair shops. People are sitting around, you know, either texting or they're they don't have a phone, they're going to be reading something. So they might pick, pick it up and look at it. So especially something that's kind of enticing, something that uh, pricks their interest. One I always like is to visit a public library and go to the reference section, lay uh, maybe something under G-O-D or Jehovah and stick a, a name track in there and then forget to take it when you leave. And they'll think, oh, somebody left their bookmark in here. Oh, what is this? You know, They start reading it. That's always good because they're already searching for something. And of course, there's always the more direct approach. You go to state fairs, you always see somebody with a booth. Christian group got a booth out there. That's been tried. I think Sammy Graham tried that. Um, bulletin boards at stores and restaurants. Stick something simple up there, maybe a little card. Uh, and you can do like Lucas, hand out literature in your hometown or whatever. But anyway, if you're interested in that, and I hope that you know, we'll get more people involved, especially in the, uh, the program we have, the outreach program, uh, you can go to the uh, website, ymorg outreach, and uh, learn some ways. It's good. It's good to get involved. It's good to use the gifts you've been given because one day we're all going to be responsible. We're going to have to hand back the talents to Yahshua, and he'll either say, good, good job, good, uh, thou good and faithful servant, or he'll say, slothful servant, what did you do with the information? What did you do with the truths I gave you? Well, I'm just not good at it. You can do something. 
You can support those who are doing it. That's another way. And we have a lot of good support. We really do. I mean, I see, I see the mail every couple of days. Debbie goes down and gets the mail. I see the support we get. It just amazes me. Some people I've never met, but they support real well. And as I always said, in this world, there's givers and there's takers. And we have a lot of good people who give to Yahweh because they want to see the word go out. That's so important. So um, hopefully that maybe this will whet your appetite and maybe uh, get you moving a little bit in that right direction of helping others. If nothing else to right now, study to show yourself approved. And then Yahweh will maybe give you a, a mission, a way to do what, uh, what he's taught you to do in his word. May Yahweh bless you.